This week, we pay respect to the little capelin and the big role they play in the ocean ecosystem. Long may they roll. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 173. Thanks for your support by patreon.com and email transfer. Mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Wallah. If you are from Newfoundland, chances are you're well acquainted with capelin. You've eaten them from the frying pan or dried, or maybe used them for bait. Capelin were also a traditional food for indigenous people, Beothic, Mi'kmaq, and Inuit, in Labrador and all the way to Greenland. But there aren't as many capelin these days. On those damp, gray days in May and June, capelin weather, they don't rule like they used to. That's because they're scooped up offshore, where they're sought for their roe, a prized commodity in Asia. The decline of the capelin is not only bad news for your supper plate, it's also a major factor in the near extinction of Atlantic cod. That's why the non-governmental organization Oceana Canada is calling for a moratorium on capelin fishing. If capelin don't recover, neither will cod. Our guest this week is Robert Rangeley, Director of Science for Oceana Canada. We're a non-profit organization. Uh, we are uh, you can find us around the world. Uh, we're the largest uh, conservation organization focused exclusively on the oceans. We've been in Canada since, uh, well, for six years now. And um, a team on, uh, on the Atlantic coast and uh, in Ottawa and in Toronto. Um, we work on issues that um, affect the health of our oceans. And I think we can sort of best sum us up by our sort of mantra, save the oceans, feed the world. So we're very much about um, putting in place uh, policies in countries that dominate the global seafood industry. And those policies are geared towards the health of communities, coastal communities, and an abundance of seafood. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about uh, capelin. Um, capelin, it's a small fish, and uh, I guess it doesn't get the... Uh, the uh, the profile as uh, as cod, for example, king cod, and capelin. Capelin is known as a forage fish, which uh, I guess makes capelin seem uh, kind of insignificant in the in the overall scheme of things. But I suppose uh, in the in the ocean ecosystem, uh, it would be fair to say that capelin are play an important role. Oh, they really do, Glenn. Uh... And it's, 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 you're, you're correct, and it's not fully appreciated. Um, you know, capelin, other fishes, forage fish you, in Canada, we'll think of herring on both our coasts. Uh, we'll think of mackerel. Um, and then, you know, there are other places. There's sardines and anchovies and so on. These, these small, um, we call them pelagic as a biologist. They're, they're in the water column. They, they're, they're schooling fish. They're, they form in great abundances. They're notorious for boom bust cycles, but they're also easy to catch because they're, uh, you know, they're in big schools. But the other important thing from them, and just a little bit of biology here, is they're not only abundant 
and a great food source for so many other creatures. But there's this link between um, uh, productivity uh, at the lower levels of the food web up to the higher levels. So just think of how, how we get uh, production in our oceans. Starts with the sun, uh, uh, plankton, uh, phytoplankton, the, the uh, single-celled uh, sort of free-living algae in the water. And then there's small crustaceans that eat that algae. So the only way a cod can get that energy from the sun <laughs> through the phytoplankton is through something that eats those um, small zooplankton, little crustaceans like uh, copepods and krill. And, uh, and it's those larger cod need those, uh, that energy and they get that energy through largely through uh, forage fish. So they form that connection between the primary productivity of the ocean and upper trophic levels. And of course the seabirds, every picture in Newfoundland tourist picture has a picture of a puffin with a, a capelin in its bill. Mm. That's exactly, you know, what that food web is doing. And of course, uh, humans uh, eat capelin also in, in Newfoundland. Um, you know, when I was growing up uh, in around about June, maybe late June, you would get what we call the capelin weather that those kind of uh, dull days, maybe a bit of fog, uh, no wind, of course, very quiet. And then you would hear the capelin are rolling and people would head off to the beach with their dip nets and their plastic buckets. And then uh, not long after, you know, chances are in many frying pans and many kitchens, you would have capelin being uh, cooked in the skillet and, uh, and eaten at the table. But these last uh, few years, um, not so much. I mean, in some communities, I think there is, you know, a capelin roll, but it's, it's a bit of a thing of the past. And I guess that that indicates what's happening to the capelin stocks. So what, um, what are the stats on, uh, on capelin stocks and, and what is the, the cause of, um, of the change in capelin stocks? Yes, so the, the, the capelin have been de really depleted for a couple of decades now, nothing like uh, former times. Um, and one of the things that uh, the science is showing is there's a real shortage of um, sort of spawners in the water. So uh, a few things are leading to that. There's, there's too few um, of the older uh, capelin, which produce the most eggs. So the capelin tend to be smaller. Um, they're coming back later. So the timing isn't quite right for the uh, release of the spawn. So the, when those eggs and then hatch and out come the larvae. Um, they're not coming out at sort of optimal times. And there's just much fewer of them. So they're not getting the, the larval abundance. And you get the larval abundance by lots of those females doing exactly what you said, rolling on the beach and producing many eggs. Um, the as I mentioned earlier, the, you know, there's there's this boom bust cycle we see with many of these forage fish, and uh, we're just not seeing those cycles with capelin. And there's certainly a number of factors. Lots of things like to eat capelin, but that's why we call them forage fish because lots of things eat them, and that's to be expected in any marine ecosystem. Um, uh, there can certainly be some environmental uh, problems there, but we also know that. Um, you know, there, there's a fishery on them and the fishery are taking uh, a proportion of these spawners and those are eggs that are not getting uh, deposited on the gravels in the, in the beaches. Uh, and they're 
intercepting those uh, fish before they roll on the beach and not producing uh, as many eggs. So um, there's, there's really only one thing we can control here, and that is to um, back away, back off on fishing pressure and allow the, the remaining low populations densities of capelin that are coming into the shore, allow them to uh, reproduce. And over time, of course, uh, they produce a tremendous amount of eggs. And uh, we should expect to see, you know, if environmental conditions are good, uh, you know, a resurgence over time. We've seen lots of uh, fish populations come back when we backed off fishing pressure, but the reality is it's kind of the only thing we can control is the fishing pressure, and um, and that's an awful lot of eggs. Mm. So Oceania Canada, then, um, your position is that there should be a complete stop to the capelin fishery. Is that what you think is advised in the circumstances? Yes, and it's more than just, uh, I mean, it's most importantly, because the stock is in terrible shape. And let me just add a couple of things about the, the science around this. It's not just that the fish are not, um, a larval index is low, they're not seeing them abundance in the surveys, but um, many fishermen are also reporting that uh, cod stomachs and uh, turbot stomachs, green, also known as Greenland halibut, uh, do not have the uh, the capelin in their stomachs. In fact, uh, the cod assessment last year, and there's a cod assessment coming out soon, um, in fact, this week they're meeting, uh, showed that um, cod are starving and capelin are one of the principal prey for cod, as everyone in Newfoundland knows. So, so what, we're, what we're advocating and what good fisheries management would advocate, we're just saying, do your job, DFO, is um, when a stock is collapsed, stop fishing. Mm. But it's more than that in this case. The stock is clearly showing signs of collapse, but we don't actually have the reference point. So there's some science that needs to be done. So we're saying, get a plan in place, set, uh, develop the reference points so you know what the actual status of the stock is, because we need those estimates. And then uh, when you put back, and when the stock starts to recover, put back in place precautionary quotas. So we think that, just, just logically think this through, why it's so important is that you should leave more forage fish in the water than you might otherwise for non-forage fish when you set your quotas. So take your, um, you know, in, increase, have a um, sort of a minimum biomass that's left in, in the water. And that allows that production to help uh, feed the other components of that ecosystem, including things we also like to harvest, like like cod. We, we have a problem with cod in in, uh, in Atlantic uh, waters, uh, and um, you know they need all the help they can get too. And yes. not not overfishing their prey base is will help with their recovery as well. So so the 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 capelin fishery is that mostly an industrial fishery? I know that uh, capelin is used for bait, but it's is the uh, does the catch most mostly go to fish meal and things like that? Uh, what happens to so there's the a proportion that goes to that? Yes. So the the females are prized for the roe. So that's the fish eggs that are sold uh, mostly mostly to Asian markets, and um, and you know that's an important industry. Um, 
the males aren't useful for that for obvious reasons. And uh, I think they're put into fish meal and so on, as well as the carcasses once the uh, roe is stripped from, from the females. Uh, but what's really important for this industry is to intercept the fish before they uh, make it to the beaches while the eggs are still in the bodies of the females. Um, capelin, not very many of them survive uh, after laying eggs, so they're a short-lived species. Um, some do, but a proportion, um, you know, a large proportion do die on the beaches. So, uh, but again, uh, the fishery is geared to intercepting them before they spawn. Uh, one, of the, one of the arguments is that, um, you know, the, the quotas are low and, um, you know, predators are taking a much larger proportion. That's kind of to be expected, but you remember what I said earlier about the fact that there's very few larvae that are showing up in the larval indexes. And if you actually do the math, if you look at these small fish, the current quota total allowable catch is around 16,000 tons. These, these are, and they're catching small capelin. They haven't been allowed to grow bigger. Um, normally you'd want, to, you'd want them about three or four years of age and they're finding they're around two year old now. And those small fish are uh, roughly about 15 grams. Well, 15 grams into 16,000 tons is a lot of fish. In fact, it's billions of fish. Wow. And if you do the math on how many eggs that produce, the number's in the trillions. Now, Bob, you mentioned uh, codfish and uh, the fact that the codfish, the, the fishes are catching, have no capelin in their stomachs. Uh, currently in Newfoundland, their uh, cod, as it so frequently is, is a um, political discussion, uh, both in terms of whether the cod fishery on the south coast should be shut down. Uh, I note that the provincial minister of fisheries says that uh, no, the problem is uh, DFO modeling. The DFO has it wrong and the fishery can go on, no problem. Uh, and I think the fisheries union has also chimed in with that, uh, with that position. And, um, and we also have a, a kind of uh, what we might call a vilification of the seal, seal and seal overpopulation as the real cause of, uh, of cod depletion. So, what, as someone who's, who's studying uh, capelin and what's going on out in, the, out in the ecosystem, what are your views on the correct, the advisable uh, policy um, on the cod fishery? And, and do you believe that the, it's the seal overpopulation that's the cause in cod depletion or the main cause, as some are suggesting? Okay, yeah, there's, there's a lot of emotion around seals, as, as we all know, and a lot of misconceptions as well. Uh, and it's a bit of a complicated story for sure. So, you know, I want to say, first of all, I sort of understand the frustration around seals. There are, there has been, uh, and there's a number of species of seals that can confuse the story here as well. Um, but let's make one thing very, very clear about what the science has shown. And there's no mistake about it. The cod collapse was caused by overfishing. That's, that's not open for debate, even though people like to say it's, you know, maybe it was the seals. It was overfishing. Now, what's keeping cod from recovering is also a complicated question. Uh, and there's a number of factors, including environmental. But again, um, we, can, we can control what we can control, which is the fishing. 
pod e to proportion of cod e to proportion of uh, capelin. Uh, sorry, did I say did I say that right? Seals e to proportion of the cod yes. and the capelin. Um, and and the, the the best science we know of now, um, you know, harp seals on the northeast coast for for northern cod. Uh, when you get down towards the south, you get into the large gray seals, which uh, do take a lot of cod as well. Uh, and there's been an explosion of gray seal um, populations. And in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, uh, that southern population in the Gulf of St. Lawrence of cod is almost extirpated. It's, all, it's almost gone. And, um, and there's, I think, some pretty good science to suggest that what's keeping them so low are the, are the gray seals. But by and large, over all the areas that, uh, around the cod populations, um, they may be a factor in the mortality. They are a factor in the mortality of cod, but they're not the, the driving factor is what the science shows. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, okay, so that's one part of the equation. Do, do seals eat cod? Sure, they eat cod, and they eat a lot of cod, but so do other things. What do we do about it is the question. And this is the frustrating part because the reality is, um, you know, there's one thing we can control is the fishing. Can we actually control uh, these large seal herds? It's, it's, it's interesting to think of over the time of the, from the collapse of the cod uh, fishery in the early 90s, uh, over that period of time when there was hardly any northern cod at all, like you could hardly detect a signal through the 90s, um, seal populations did real well and they grew. <laughs> now there's and there was a seal hunt. Um, and they're still large. We're talking harp seals. Um, and there's still large populations. So what exactly uh, do the proponents of a call for seals want to see happen here? It, it, the, the objective isn't has never been really clear to me. I, I would just ask like how many seals would you have to kill to make a difference? Does anybody actually know? Um, you know, what is the cost of that sort of massive call of seals? Do you, un do you understand what the unintended consequences are? Because ecosystems are not a linear equation. You know, I, I want cod, seals eat cod, so let's kill seals. That's not how ecosystems work. <laughs> They're much more complicated. And, and history has proven that when we try to manipulate nature through uh, predator control, wildlife control mechanisms, uh, sorry, like through calls, um, we've had a lot of uh, uh, unintended consequences. You know, they just haven't worked out that well. Um, so even if it could work, um, uh, I, 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 I like to put the onus back on the proponents of the seal call and to say, well, how would you do it? Oh. What sort of numbers? How do you know what the effect's going to be? And probably the most immediate problem is what's the market response going to be? Um, we all saw what happened to the seal hunt when Europeans decided uh, they were going to boycott uh, seal furs. So what's going to happen if we had a massive call of seals um, with our, our, our important U.S. and European markets? I think that's an important question. So no wonder Department of Fisheries and Oceans is just, they don't want to, they don't want to do this. They know it's... You know, so if it's not going to happen, and if it's not going to be effective, and if no one can demonstrate how it would actually be done, 
um, why is there so much energy around it? Mm. Uh, and distraction versus what really needs to be done here is, um, you know, at least manage our fisheries, put in rebuilding plans, have strong regulations, set targets for a healthy stock, manage a fishery towards those targets, have good harvest control rules, do the science on the, the necessary reference points, manage some of these other relationships with the, the prey, like the species, other species we're harvesting, such as the uh, forage fishes. Maybe this is a, a good point, Bob, to uh, move to a, to a positive, optimistic note. And of course, many discussions about the fisheries are a downer. It's about overfishing. It's about uh, uh, species verging on extinction. And it's usually a sad story. But Oceana Canada, you are an optimistic organization in the sense that you feel that with the correct, advisable policy that the fisheries can rebound. We can have um, uh, thriving fisheries uh, and, uh, and food, healthy food from the sea for people. And it comes down to, to regulation, I guess, some, some short-term uh, pain uh, in the sense of having to stop fishing for a while. But if we do that, fish, fish species being resilient can bounce back. Well, that's absolutely right. And let's not forget, we still have really strong fisheries. So look at our uh, snow crabs doing well. Uh, lobsters are, are doing great and they're extremely lucrative. One that's extremely exciting on the um, ground fish side is, is redfish in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. It's exploding, just waiting to get the right pieces in place and just get them up to a larger market size. One thing industry is, you know, strong proponents of, um, is no longer going back to uh, sort of volume fisheries and really work towards quality of the fish and uh, on higher value. And that's what they're looking at with um, the redfish. So wait till the fillets, the, the fish get bigger. So you have larger, more valuable fish fillets per unit weight. And, uh, and then that fishery is gonna really take off in the next couple of years. And, and that's a good thing. It was, it collapsed when all the other ground fish collapsed. So that's a good news story. Um, Atlantic Helmet's doing great, you know, so um, there's lots of good successes. And on our West coast of Canada, you know, our ground fish are, are doing well there. Um, so it, it's not all doom and gloom. Dr. Robert Rangeley, Director of Science for Oceana Canada. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Our intern and residence is Alan Riopel, a student at the University of King's College School of Journalism in Halifax. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Nemalis. Mi'kmaq.